The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This is the Freedom's Disciple podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Dunn. This is the show exclusive to the Blaze where you come for the action, but you stay for the principles. Or you stay for something. I'm not sure what it is. Maybe it's cultural appropriation where y'all were Irish last week at St. Patrick's Day or. You stay for commentary, or you just stay for my good looks, who knows? Luckily, you can't see me. We have a uh, jam-packed show for you today. I am, I'm going to take this week's show and next week's show in a bit of a different direction. Um, this week is I'm going to focus in on a tweet I got from one of my lists, one of the regular listeners, actually asking me to go through democracy and, and the problems with democracy, and I'm going to give you some outline about some reports I've seen in from over here in Europe about the minimum wage increase and the impact of that. I want to talk to you about a law that was passed last week um, about free speech, and I want to just talk to you about just some general bills, and just to try and give you a flavor of what democracy truly is like, and how, how wonderful it is, and how swell it is, and just show you ex- the other side of the coin. But before we get there, before we get there... I'm going to do something even more special because I have to address something because I'm, I'm, I'm I'm struggling to keep my cool on this and I'm going to be honest, but I want to talk last week. I talked about Hollywood. Never thought I'd see this happen today. I'm going to talk about something equally surprising. Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton. So you'll have to forgive me. I've been traveling a lot recently um with work and i've been crazy so i'm actually a bit behind the news so last week i was a week late with the oscars but i felt i had to be addressed this week i'm kind of a couple of days late with hillary clinton and what i want to talk to you about but because i saw her trending last week i saw it on twitter and i saw it on facebook and i saw conservatives going crazy about her and i thought i saw all i saw was she fell and I was like, oh, okay, it's just obviously some you know, it's some jokes or some funny memes going around where she literally can't stand up, apparently. And I didn't pay much attention to it. And then someone actually sent me gone, did you hear this? And I went, what is it? Hillary Clinton was in India. And I went, oh, that's nice. What did she say? You got to hear us. And it's nothing in some ways that she hasn't said before. But I just want to address it from the get-go. I find her comments disgusting, vile, and reprehensible. I also find them unworthy of someone who wanted to become, quote-unquote, the most powerful person in the world, the leader of the free world. Let me tell you why I found them reprehensible. You know, it's funny I'm talking about this week, just one week after I talked about Hollywood. You know, I'm, I'm making some changes in my life, and I'm... I don't want to bore you with the details, but one of the things I'm trying to do is I'm, I'm trying to learn about motivation and I'm trying to change my mindset slowly but surely. 
And one of the first things, every motivational thing I'm reading, and I'll share this with you down the line, but one of the first things they say is you must take responsibility for your actions. Even if it is not your fault, even if you think you can put a logical argument, let's just give, let me give you an example. My situation of wanting to become an American. I can put a roadblock up and I can say, poor me, and I can blame, you know, the American government, uh, you know, I could blame the American people, and people could get bitter, I could get angry. You can't do that when you're, when you're, with the stuff I'm reading. It's, you have to take responsibility, even if it is not your fault. You have to be responsible for the situation you're in. You have to accept that responsibility. You have to accept the buck stops here. So every time I hear Hillary Clinton losing, I have never heard her say, I lost because of me. I am just not a, and this is the truth, I am just not a likable person. People don't like me. I don't have the gravitas, the, the bizarres, the, the speechifying, the, the, the words, the, the demeanor, the, the atmosphere, the aura that my husband has. I just don't have it. And it's not a male-female thing. It's, it's a personality thing. I just don't have the, the command of an audience that my husband has. I'm a dreadful candidate. Even my own party don't like me. Or I just lost. Suck it up. It's sad for you, sure. Is it frustrating for you, sure. But you lost. No one else. You lost. But instead of accepting responsibility, instead of, you know, owning it, instead of looking inward at her own failures, she seems to want to blame everyone else. And what she did in India last week, and I'm going to play some of the quotes for you, was blame the American people. Now, we can have debates, we can have discussions, we can have disagreements. But what I find so disgusting about this, secondly, is going to a foreign country and dismissing your own people, as putting your own people as backwards, as putting your own people as racists, as putting your own people as sexist. I find this so disgusting. I find this disgusting, and even if it's true, right, I'm not Ireland's best spokesperson, right? I have, I don't feel that comfortable here. I don't, you know, I don't like it in many ways. But I don't actively go around going, well, you know, the Irish people, you know, the Irish people, oh, you, they're bad people. I don't go around with a microphone in my face going, what, what do you think about the Irish people? And just go throw them under the bus. It would be a lie, but I tell the truth. I'm like, Irish people are wonderful. They just are horrible when it comes to politics. And that's the truth in my eyes. But I'm always very careful not throwing your own people under the bus. And I'm just a person. This is a political candidate who, I, I don't know if she won't run in 2020. I wouldn't put it past her. You know, because it'd be like three times a charm. And she just is so delusional, she actually might think this time will be different. Like 2016 was going to be different. Like 2008 was going to be different. But not only that, I found her comments disgusting and very frustrating for the world we are living in right now i want to play those comments for you i want to play them and then i want to break them down and tell you why i found them so vile and so disgusting if you look at the map of the united states uh -huh. there's all that red in the middle where okay. trump won i win the coasts i win right. you know illinois and minnesota places like that but what the map doesn't show oh, you tell me tell me quick 
is that I won the places that represent two-thirds of America's gross domestic oh, product. You're for the rich. So I won the places that oh. are optimistic, diverse, dynamic, uh -huh. moving forward. Sure. And his whole campaign, Make America Great Again, was looking backwards. Oh. You know, you didn't like black people getting rights. You don't like women, you know, getting yeah, jobs. You don't want that. to, you know, see that Indian American succeeding more than you are. Whatever your problem is, I'm going to solve it. So there you have the wonderful, awesome, totally magnificent, just swell individual that is called Hillary Clinton. So why do I find these comments so troubling? I know... I have major disagreements with some conservatives over in America right now. Because I, I honestly believe a lot of conservatives are... I don't know the right way to say this, but there are several conservatives, including people you know, who are around CPAC, who are not understanding of the situation that Europe finds itself in right now. Where they're not aware, or they don't care, or don't think it's a big deal of Vladimir Putin in Russia and what he's actually doing. Europe is ground zero for what's coming in many ways. I see the rise of European far-right groups. I see them. And I, I'll be honest with you, I'm scared of them. Because I see their message, which is always bunched up in it. And there's always a kernel of truth in the middle of it. And then the rest of it's like a spider's web. And it's filled with lies, it's filled with deceit, it's filled with anger, it's filled with hate. But there's always that kernel of truth that people will always focus on and kind of go, that is true. The first thing she said is, you know, people who voted for Donald Trump looked backwards. They, they just didn't like, you know, blacks getting rights. I don't remember Donald Trump saying anything to the sort. I don't remember Donald Trump or anyone connected to him saying anything remotely like it. I have conservative friends, I have libertarian friends, and we have major disagreements on many subjects. I've never once come across the American, but you know what? Those blacks, man, you know, those blacks, they have too many rights. I have never heard an American say that to me. I have heard of Europeans saying that. Or they don't really say blacks. They, they say, you know, those people of color. They, they, they have too many rights. You know, be fearful of them. But it doesn't necessarily mean a people, a, a black person. It's a people of color. It's, uh, you know, yellow, orange, you know, Middle Eastern. They always will wrap it up. There are people out there who are white supremacists. Again, I am in Europe. I see this. I see this rising up. I see this coming from people like Vladimir Putin through Alexander Dugan. I see it, the National Front. I see it with the Golden Dawn Party. I see all these groups who think that just because you are white, you are somehow better than everyone else. Just because you have white skin means you are somehow more entitled to God's gifts or the gifts of the country or the money of the country or whatever fill in the blank just because you are white. That is baloney. 
And what Hillary Clinton is doing right now, I don't know whether she understands it or whether she knows or quite honestly whether she gives a damn. But what she is doing is she is setting good people and she is siding us with pure, vile people. And she is weakening her own arguments. If she truly cared about black people and if she actually understands what is coming, she should be the first one to make that clear distinction. She should be the first one saying, look, I truly care about the rights of black people or colored people or whatever, fill in the blank. I see what is coming in Europe. We need to make that clear distinction. But what we must do as individuals who, if you believe in limited governments and you abhor racism, and I don't mean some fancy hashtag on Twitter. I don't mean some, you know, you have white privilege. I don't care what color you wear. But if you truly believe in the tenets of your founding principles, when I say yours, I mean America's, you must speak out right now. You must make it as clear as day we are not with them. That we will not be in bed with them. That there is issues coming down the pike. Europe is going dark. Europe is going to go through periods. It might turn out wonderful. It might turn out really bad. It might turn out really good. I have no idea. But the far right in European sense, not in an American sense, in a European sense, is growing. And it is growing really quickly. Her next comment was about women. You know, I am sick to death of this identity politics. I'm sick of it on all sides. You know, what's frustrating for me is if you truly believe in the tenets of, of liberty, you believe in America's founding principles, it doesn't matter what gender you are. It doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. It does not matter where you've come from. You are judged on your content of your your character. That is so fundamental to the American way. This identity politics, it's just, let's not judge you by your character. Let's just judge you by something you can or, or you maybe want to change in the future, but that you can't control. I can't control what color I am. Well, I can. I can put dye on myself and change, but to the general extent, unless I want to do something radical and different, I can't control my the color of my skin. I can't control my gender. I can't control it. I have it. This might be shocking to you. I have a penis. Oh my God. He said, he said, what? I know. I can't control it. I'm like, sorry, I can. I could go have an operation and get it chopped off. But that sounds kind of painful. <laughs> Been blunt about it. I can't control any of this. What I can control is the content of my character. How I think. How I feel. How I believe. I can change what I stand for. If you truly want to empower women, it's the same answer to empower women as it is to empower blacks, as it is to empower Asians, it is to empower straight people, gay people, trans people, um, bi people. You fill in the alphabet. The answer of empowerment is the same. It is getting some type of government out of your way. It is getting some type of tyrant out of your way. It is saying you are a free person. You have unbridled potential inside of you. 
Go live up to it. You have every opportunity. Nothing is standing in your way. And if something is standing in your way, go seek to remove it. Encourage them. Inspire them. That is the message. I don't care who I'm talking to. Look, we can re we can remember history all we want. We do it quite a lot on this show, and we're going to be doing a lot more going forward. The world has a bad history. I don't want to undermine what women had to go through to vote, the suffrage movement. We have we can remember that history, but we can also focus on that. It's 2016. It's sorry, it's not 2016. I'm sorry, I'm two years behind. It's 2018. Wow, is it 2018? My God, time flies. But the answer is empowerment. The answer is helping people. And if there's a roadblock there, tell them and encourage them that they can get past it. Because life is not all smooth sailing. This idea, this utopia, that life is this flat road. And you can just walk along this flat road and you'll never have to jump or you'll never have to sidestep or you'll never have to duck. That's, that's baloney. You're doing those people a misservice. But part of the last part that frustrated me was her last comment. That she dared have the audacity to talk about Donald Trump. And you know I'm no big fan of Donald Trump. To say that, you know, your government, you need me. You need me. Mrs. Progressive. Mrs. I'm a proud progressive. I, I'm, a, I'm a progressive Democrat. I'm a, uh, that, well, that actually wasn't her full quote. Actually, her full quote was, I'm a proud early 20th century Democratic progressive, I believe was her exact quote on a debate stage at one time. Which is even more interesting, but we'll leave that for another point. She is the one who looks at government in every way possible. It's government, 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 government. You want a proof of this? Because she also then apologized for her comments. You know, I'm sorry if, you know, I'm sorry if you, you dumb Americans were, you know, misinterpreted what I said. She put up a Facebook post, you know, because it wasn't me. Again, it wasn't me. It's never her. It's never Hillary Clinton. It's amazing. All the problems progressives cause, and I say this as progressives, I don't mean progressive Democrats. I mean also progressive Republicans. They cause all these problems, and it's it's never me. They're all all of a sudden they're all shaggy. Hey, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. What the, what's that? Oh, it wasn't me. Totally wasn't me. I'm totally innocent. I never did that. But in her apology on Facebook, you know where where you dumb people mis misinterpreted or you misunderstood or you didn't quite get the sophisticated, intelligent, just truly awesome point she was trying to make. This is what she finished off her her status. Her, or sorry, her not her state, her her post. I love our country every bit as much as a private citizen as I did the candidate, as I did Secretary of State, Senator for New York, and and First Lady. That's why I don't I don't want us to remain passive in the face of these threats. I want us to be free to focus on the future, a future in which we're fighting for democratic values of equality. Uh, equal opportunity, social inclusion, and strong communities for an economy that works for everyone and for lifting up the next generation of leadership, particularly women. Everything she says in there, she sees as government as the way to answer us. She sees government as the solution. She always sees government as, I'm going to be the one who fixes it. Even earlier in her comment where she said, I was going to fight for hard-working families in every part of the country. I was going to raise the minimum wage. I was going to give paid leave. I was going to do affordable college, affordable quality health care for all, training for good jobs that don't require a college degree, and giving workers a larger share of corporate profits and tax cuts. 
She dare say that you, Donald Trump, wanted people to vote for him because he was going to do everything, yet you're the one who actively promotes, I'm going to do everything? We have a situation right now, and I'm going to be very blunt with you. The situation is this. We live in a world where people on both sides of the aisle like governments. The only difference is they disagree on how government should work. They like government their way, just not anyone else's way. This is a story I am very familiar with. It is the European, it is the world story throughout history. You were the only country that spoke about limited government. Your founding fathers were the only people who put limits on government. Where you had some type of restraint. Where you had clear boundaries. Where you had checks and balances. Where you said to the people, we're going to get out of your way. You control your destiny. The question right now is who do you want to empower? That's always what it comes down to. Because when you seek to see a problem in society, the question is always, who are you going to empower? Who are you going to seek to empower? When you talk to 99% of people in D.C., in Republican and Democratic circles, and a growing number of conservatives, the answer is government. Go, you know, Oh, well, the infrastructure is crumbling, but government has to pass a bill. We have an opioid problem. Government must do something. We need to build a wall. Government must do that. We have problems with our police. Government must do that. We have a problem with healthcare. Government must do that. And when I say government in each of these, I'm saying the federal government. We can have a different set of debates if you want, if you want to take all these issues and say, I believe the state should do these. Again, I said last week, the great thing about your system is socialism is possible in America if you actually follow the Constitution. You just do it on a state level instead of a federal level. And if it was so great and so wonderful, lots of other states would follow suit if you proved me wrong that socialism actually works. That is the great thing about America. The question is, who do you want to empower? My philosophy is always very simple. I want to empower the individual. I want to help the individual. I want to get out of their way. And I want to help get other people out of their way. I'll leave you with this. I had a conversation with a friend of mine this week. And I don't share what the conversation was about because it was private. There was a, lots of things going on in it. But this person admitted me to me, said, you know, I, uh, I don't think I believe in the American dream. And I was kind of shocked by this. And I went, I think you do. But just for clarification, can you tell me what you, your definition of the American dream is? And I think the description this person gave me was, was very much what I've heard so many people tell me for the last 10, 15, 20 years. And it's the exact opposite of my American dream. And it's the exact opposite of the American dream your founders thought of. Their answer was, nice house, 2.5 kids, married, middle class life. Everything was in some way materialistic. That is what has become the American dream. That is what politicians and the media have led you to believe. That if somehow someone else has more money than me, they're, than you, you're, they're taken from you. They're stealing from you. It's all about materialistic objects. The American dream has absolutely nothing to do with materialism. Traditionally. Now that you might like what I'm going to say, you might prefer the modern day American dream, and that's cool. 
I don't. The American dream that I believe in, the American dream I believe in says you are free to pursue your happiness, that you are a free and sovereign individual, and that you have certain rights from your creator. And my job, if, if I'm in government, is not to give you rights. I can't do that because we are all created equal. It's not my job to give you rights. It is my job to fundamentally, why you elect me is to protect those rights. Because the rights are the same for everyone. You know, the freedom, the First Amendment, free speech, let's say, because everyone knows free speech. Or maybe they don't. Free speech. There's no law in there that says, you know what, well, all white people, you know, have, have a right to free speech. Or all men have a right to free speech. No, it's all people have a right to free speech. The same with the Second Amendment on guns and the self-defense. It's not all white people or all straight people or all Christians or all gays. It's the same for everyone. It's eternal truths. They're the same for everyone. That is the American dream. The American dream is about opportunity. That you won't be judged where you come from, whether you went to school or not, or whether you, you know where you, what your father does, or what your mother does, or you know what your family background is, or, or whether you came from a city, or whether you came from a country. It doesn't matter. You're going to be judged you and the content of your character. That is the wonderful thing about your country. Or it used to be. But it still can be again if we start identifying these problems and we start speaking with boldness, even against our own side if that's what it requires. Because these are eternal, eternal truths that must be fought for. And that is why I found Hillary Clinton's comments in India vile, disgusting, and highly irresponsible. Don't go anywhere, America. We'll be right back. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. The Glenn Beck Program. I hate to, you know, ask everybody to put that on their big pants here for a second, but Facebook isn't doing any of this. We are, okay? Facebook is playing off us, but you're smart enough to figure this out, that there's an algorithm that gives you what you want and what you like. See the button that says like? That means, if you're a capitalist, I'm going to give you more of what you like, less of what you don't like. That's capitalism. That's the way this is working. The Glenn Beck Program. Freedom's Disciple On Demand On the Blaze Radio Network Thank you so much for sticking with me, America So now I want to do something different I want to talk to you about some policies over here And this all, rest of this show is going to be something new And maybe it's something I need to do more often Just to give you a side of what I live through And, and why democracy is not a good thing And a lot of the rest of this show is because it was inspired by a tweet An exchange I had with, with someone who I actually think he might be my local senator um, on Twitter um, it, their name is Senator Sluggy McSlugface. I think he's my senator. I don't know, but his name sounds familiar, or her name sounds familiar. I don't know if Sluggy's a male or a female, or maybe she's maybe they're questioning, or I I don't know the right noun, or I don't know. They could be anything, or maybe 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 they're not even a, a maybe not even a man or a woman. Maybe they're maybe you're an it. Maybe they're an animal. I I have no idea in this crazy world. Hey, we live in a world where anything is possible, right? And I just said that was a good thing a few minutes ago. Maybe I need to rethink what I said. <laughs> 
but they, they they tweeted me and said, uh, I do wonder if you're in your next program, you might remind new listeners why a democracy is problematic. So what I discussed just right before the break was all the things why that kind of make America a republic. You're not a democracy or a constitutional republic. Um, you know, rights coming from your creator, not governments. Government's not there to give you rights. It's there to protect those rights. That You know, you have a set of government, um, you have a, a structure of government, um, checks and balances different branches of government. I actually asked someone, um, a liberal, on if you, if you want to actually understand how frightening and how much work we have ahead of us, um, you know, there's three branches of government, right? I asked a liberal this in a conversation, and they went, yeah, of course I know the three branches of government. There's the presidency, the house, and the senate, and I just went, oh, dear God. Oh, oh, dear God. But democracy is the exact opposite. Democracy is this this term that everyone uses glowingly. And there is some good parts of democracy, you know, where people have a vo- voice and people have a vote. Absolutely. But democracy, everything is up for grabs. Power is always at the top. It all goes about populism. It is literally 50% of the voting public plus one gets to decide what happens. Or the rep- majority. There is no, if if the majority says you can't do something, and it's even if you think it's a fundamental right, tough, you can't do it. The majority has spoken. The fundamental difference usually between a democracy and a republic is democracies always care about the majority. America's system traditionally cares about the minority. That the minority has as much protection in the system as a as the majority. But I want to talk to you about some bills just to give you the side of what exactly is happening in Europe right now. And the first story is comes from the hot tip to Daily Wire. The UK, the United Kingdom, an ally of America, a very long ally, has a very long and storied history with England. England is not this bastion of freedom. Europe is not this bastion of freedom. When you think of free speech, everyone loves free speech. You know, I hear people on all sides of the aisle, I've heard I've heard socialists talk about free speech, I've heard libertarians, I've heard anarchists talk about free speech, I've heard these, this term, you know, you have free speech. But one thing I find, and it's a growing trend in, in certain circles, is you're, only, you're actually not for free speech. What you are for is speech you agree with, or speech you don't find reprehensible. You're not for free speech, you're just for, you know, you have this, bound, and some people have big bubbles of free speech. But they're not absolutes. I am an absolutist when it comes to free speech. But just to give you an example, this is a new law that's been passed. Uh, the London London Metropolitan Police have issued their new guidelines of what constitutes a hate crime. So in England right now, you have certain crimes where if you do say certain things, and I mean just say certain things, you can be charged with a hate crime and you can either pay a fine or potentially go to jail, depending on what the judge says. Yes, you heard that right. If you say certain things in England, you know, America's oldest ally, you know, democracy, a proud democracy. And if you say something, you can either pay a fine or go to jail. They have new perimeters, and I'm going to quote for you. A hate crime is is the following. When someone commits a crime against you because of your disability, your gender, your identity, your race, your sexual orientation, your religion, and here's the key phrase, or any other perceived difference. It doesn't always have to include physical violence. Someone using offensive language towards you or harassing you because of who you are or who you think you are is also a crime. It even goes on. 
If someone commits a criminal offence and the victim or anyone else believes it was motivated by prejudice or hate, we class this as a hate crime. It means the offender can be charged for the crime itself and also for their reasons doing it. If someone does something that isn't a criminal offence but the victim or anyone else believes it was motivated by prejudice or hate, we would class this as a hate incident. Oh, I hate where you go. we've gone from hate crime to hate incident. Oh, Though what the perpetrator has done may not be against the law, their reasons for doing it are. This means it may be possible to charge them with an offence. So here's the thing. Let's just have a little fun, right? You know, in a, if I wanted to play the victim, and I wanted to, didn't care about natural rights or natural law, I would love this. Because let's just go through this. So, let's just go through the simple one first. Should you commit a crime against someone because of their disability? Well, you know, again, you know, let's just play, let's be liberals for a minute. Let's, you know, let's, let's not get facts in the way of a good narrative. Let's, you know, play victimhood and stuff. I don't have a disability, but, uh, you know, I could say being fat is somewhat of a disability. I've been called fat every time for, since I was three years old. So can I go back and give people, say, you, you, you committed a hate crime for calling me fat? I've been called a, a kook. I've been called a cook. I've been called racist. I've been called bigoted. You, you've, 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 you've given out to me. You've said I have white privilege. Race was the third, fourth one. You can't discriminate against someone because of their disability, disability, their gender, their identity, or their race. I'm white. I can't change this. You, you keep telling me I have white privilege. You're, you're, you have a hate crime. All you people on social media... If you lived under these laws, you could be charged with a hate crime. And also, I would also argue, you know, a lot of it is, is, is emotionally charged, and it would also be a hate incident. So I should love this. You know, I've had people, you know, tell me I'm not a real Christian. Religion is in there, you know, it's, it's the seventh one. You know, you can't discriminate because of the religion. I, I don't have a religion. I, I am a Christian, but I've been told by many people on all sides that I'm not a real Christian. In fact, I remember this one will live with me till the day I die. I remember one of the insults, and this was a deadly serious insult, was, and it will be one I'll never forget. If, if you want to insult me, by the way, just make it amusing. That's all I ask. Don't be dull and boring. Go, oh, John, you're fat. Oh, God, well done. You're so intelligent. Make them funny for me. At least give me some humor when you're insulting me. But one of the ones I got, and I, I've told you about this before I got, funniest insult ever. I was a Bible-thumping communist. I, I'll never forget that because my head expl- my head spun for like <laughs> trying to get my head around that the whole how can you get communism from what I'm saying and also I don't remember the communists marching and Bible thumping <laughs> if they actually did Bible thump they mightn't have been communists much longer but that's a story for another day or any other perceived indifference well I have an indifference with 99% of Congress can I can I charge them a hate crimes because I find what they did was repugnant. I, I've, I've, I, we spoke in the first segment. I, I have a big perceived difference with Hillary Clinton. Can I charge her with a hate crime? And also, I think, I think she was motivated by what she said. I think she was motivated to, you know, to, to cause, you know, cause a bit of pain to people who voted to Donald Trump. Can we charge her also with a hate incident? Now, this is ludicrous. We all know this. I was having fun there. The fun time's over. It's time to get serious. This is what you are put, we are putting up in, this is in England. But the thing about 
great policies, and I and I in case you can't get the sarcasm in my voice, the the great policies. They they tend to they're like a weed. You know, it's like if you're ever having a garden and, you know, it's springtime, so things should start blooming. So, you know, when, you know, all of a sudden you're looking at your garden, you have this lovely, pristine garden, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a weed just turns up. And you go, oh, look, I'll get it tomorrow or the next day. I'm busy. I've got stuff on. And then you go back like a week later because you're just busy and you forgot about it and you've better things to be doing than pulling the weed out of the garden. And all of a sudden, there's like 10 of them. It's like they just grow. This, that's what these policies do. People, well, lawmakers kind of go, oh, do you see what Britain did? Let's, let, I bet you we can go even further than them. They had hate crime. We, they have hate incident. We'll have hate. Um, um, how, can we, oh, how can we top hate speech and hate incident? We'll have, oh, I don't know, hate thoughts. You're not even allowed to think these things. They will t- seek to top each other. And then all of a sudden the European Union gets it. And then the European Union makes it policy for all. And that is just awesome. Because let me give you the European Union in terms, is your federal government. And we all just love when the federal government comes in and tells us, right? Tells you all what to do and what to think and how to act. But this is what's happening in the UK. Is free speech something that we must stand for? Yes, I believe it is. But what happens in the United Kingdom is you have these people, true democracy, saying, you know what? We can't have this happen. And instead of actually having conversations of you shouldn't say this or, you know, it's not responsible or, you know, let's have a better world. Instead of having conversation and empowering people not to do these or empowering people to overcome hate and abuse. No, no, the government has to get involved. We have new laws and we have to get the police to deal with them. But this is where I want to take you on the exact flip side of it. It's also from the United Kingdom. It's a story which actually you probably heard this week. So, and I'm going to start off with it. I don't do insults, but I'm doing an insult for this guy. So there's this douchebag. He's a douchebag. And he is a douchebag. Thought, you know what would be swell? I'm going to get on YouTube and I'm going to record a video. And I'm not going to mention this guy's name because I don't want to give a douchebag publicity. But he's a 30-year-old guy who said, you know what would be funny? I'll get on YouTube. I'll get on YouTube with my girlfriend's dog, who is, the girlfriend's dog is, I think it's a pug. Um, and basically he starts talking statements like, gas the Jews and Sig Heil, and he raises the dog's paw, as if he's giving the, the, the Hitler salute. Apparently this is comedy, amusement. Basically, long story short, I, I have no idea why people do these type of things, but there was a load of complaints to YouTube about this. And I'm guessing, I can't find the actual answer to this, but I know it was the video was viewed more than 3 million times. And I'm guessing YouTube has taken the video down. I'm not sure. I, I didn't want to look at it. But basically, he was in court. And basically, he has been found guilty um, under the Communications Act of posting a video that was anti-Semitic and racist in nature. And he's going to be, um, he has to go back to court, I think, next month um, to be sentenced. But he's been found guilty. Does this person have a right to do this? Is this? Remember what I said last week, freedom making you uncomfortable? Look, this guy's a douchebag, right? I, I don't know whether he's an anti-Semite. I don't particularly care. He's a douchebag. Uh, I've yet, I don't understand how you go, you know what, you know what? You know what would be really fun, John? What, what? Tell me what would be really fun. You know what, get my dog. Get my dog to do, like, the Nazi salute when I'm saying Sig Isle and gas the juice. That would be just hilarious. Everyone will just crack up laughing. I don't know anyone who would. I think, again, 
for those who think, well, John, you, you're, you're an anti-Semite. You're defending this guy. No, I think he's a douchebag. There's a reason I'm insulting him several times. So the crystal point is made crystal clear. I think this guy is a douchebag, a dirtbag, a scumbag, a moron. I, there's only so many words I can use on, on the air to tell you how bad I feel. But any other insult you feel adding that you is in your vocabulary, please add it because the 99.99% sure, I agree with you. But does he have a right? As much as I find it disgusting and morally reprehensible, I can't tell someone what to say. I can't tell them what they can't say. You know, freedom sucks sometimes. It really does. Freedom is not this come by our moment where if we just believe in freedom, everything is just going to be rosy and the world will just be awesome. And when you have freedom, you should have responsibility, but people don't like responsibility. And people will do stupid things and people will insult you and hurt you. Should he have done this? Of course not. It's insensitive. It's hurtful. It's disrespectful. It's stupid. Does he have a right to do it? Whether it's a joke or whether he's an anti-Semite. Yes. However, the problem, the solution to this problem, is companies taking responsibility for their platforms. If you find some, if you see something on YouTube, you see this video on YouTube, you should be contacting YouTube going, why are you having this up? And then you go through the system, and then YouTube as a company makes a judgment and says, that's absolutely morally reprehensible. We don't want to promote this. We're shutting the channel down. We're taking the video down. We've listened to your complaints. Now, I know a lot of people are going to say, well, John, this is what liberals do all the time, right? This is what liberals are doing to conservatives on YouTube all the time. This is what Prager University's lawsuit is all about. They're demonetizing their video. Do you think that's a good thing? So, this is a free market argument. I support any company's right to act any way they want that's lawful. And when I say lawful, I don't mean follow every legislation. I mean ethics and morals that everyone can that everyone can follow. YouTube has a platform. It's up to YouTube who gets on YouTube. It's up to Facebook who gets on Facebook. If Facebook wants to shut people down, they have every right. It is their platform. Especially when you consider that YouTube and Facebook are free. You're not paying anything. So you don't even have a contract with them. You don't have a you can't even make an argument going, Well, listen, I'm paying Facebook nine ninety nine a month. Like you pay the Blaze nine ninety nine a month to get the Blaze subscription. You can't even get an agreement where they set out terms and conditions. You don't have that. You have nothing. You're using their platform for free. My solution to this is always going to be the same. If you find Facebook, or because we were talking about YouTube, let's focus on YouTube. If you find YouTube so wrong, so reprehensible, and you don't like what they're shutting down, or that they didn't shut this guy down, go create another one. Go create YTube, ZTube, DTube, I don't know, whatever tube you want to create, and have it for free speech or just have it for conservatives or have it for whatever let the free market decide and people will go where people will go people will go wherever they see value wherever they see the most value whatever platform is the best free speech is a really hard thing to defend at times i have defended some of the most vile speech even when i saw when i read this report i'm like i said i'll bring it up and i'm like i'm I'm, uh, do i have to defend this if freedom doesn't make you go at any point going, oh, 
do I have to defend this? Do I really, I really don't want to be on the side of the guy who's putting up the dog's paw going Zig Heil and I don't want to be on his side. I really don't. But do you have a right? America says yes. You have a right to freedom of speech. You have a right for the government not to censor your speech. Why? Because if you censor speech, you may like it when your guy is in power. You might like it going, you know, I don't think Hillary Clinton should be allowed to say those things. I don't like I don't think Barack Obama should be able to say those things. I don't like it. I don't like it. I didn't like it when Barack Obama called us all tea party tea buyers. I didn't like it when he said we all cling to our guns and our religion. I didn't like that. I don't think you should be able to say that. It's okay when your guy is in power. But when the other person's in power, they'll silence you. They will silence you. The only way I see possible for ideas to, to really flourish is free speech. And even speech that sounds crazy. Yes, even speech that sounds crazy. Because let me share the history of the world with you. There were points in time where people said this world was not flat, it was round, and they were demonized in society. They were castrated from society. They were pretty much told they were mad people. That, oh my God, you think the world is round? You need to go to the loony bin because we know it's flat. You're clearly crazy. They have that right to say it. America wouldn't exist without the right to free speech. Because if it did, England would have censored you back in 1770s. They wonder, you can't talk about these ideas. You can't meet. You do not have a right to free speech. We'll legally put you in jail. Now, they did some of this anyway. But you do not have a right to control people's speech. Democracy versus a republic. You have rights that come from your creator. Because the right to free speech does not come from government. It doesn't come from President Trump. It doesn't come from President Obama. It doesn't come from Paul Ryan. It doesn't come from Mitch McConnell. It comes from your creator. Whether your creator is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whether it's Allah, whether it's a stone, whether it's the Buddha, wherever it comes from, it comes from your creator. Democracy says no, it come, rights come from government, and you can only say what we deem politically correct. That's where PC comes from. We, you can only use speech that the consensus says you're allowed to. When we come back, I want to talk to you about an economic report that has come out. Um, about raising the minimum wage. Don't go anywhere, America. You, you don't want to miss this report. You're listening to Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. On demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. So I'm going to talk to you about a report that was released in England, um, warning of you know raising the minimum wage quite a lot in a very short period of time is not going to be good. The UK is is like you know like I said in the, using the analogy in the last segment about the weeds. This happens across the world. So you're having a race to 15 over there in the United States. People are going, we need a minimum wage of 15 euros an hour, or 15 euros, $15 an hour. The UK is going through something similar, except it's about 10 pounds, which, give or take, the exchange rate is something similar. It needs 10 pounds an hour. Just to give you the context of the figures, the current minimum wage in the UK 
with 670 and it's on pace to be 850 by 2020 they have these legislation um, passed but last term election the Labour guy who went against Theresa May wanted to increase it by 10 pounds the economic there's this economic um, independent institute for fiscal studies in the UK did this report saying you know look minimum wage and looking at the impact and how it's going to affect lives and who exactly it's going to affect and they said basically that you know it's going to if you increase the minimum wage very quickly it's going to put a lot of jobs at risk that are already on the edge and there's a reason for this whether you like it or not or whether you think it's fair or not we all want things as cheaply as possible you know if you think just think of your own spending habits of what you spend on you know take your grocery shopping okay if i can give you two products which are the exact same in quantity things like things that you don't care about it doesn't have to be a brand per se you know like water um like squash like pop like crisps like uh, like chocolate you need a brand a certain you know we all like brands but think of all the products you buy that you know you're you're easily influenced you all want these things as cheaply as possible you're not going to go well i i want to pay an extra buck for that to give people a pay rise we all want things done as cheaply as possible we all want things as cheap as possible Unless it's certain things that we are driven by a brand where we're like, no, I only want this brand. I only want Nike runners. I don't care if the other ones are cheaper. I want to pay 100 bucks for my Nike runners. I know that. I, I empathize. We, there's, we are like that. We're creatures of habit. But for a lot of purchases, we want things as cheaply as possible. To get things as cheaply as possible, a business has overheads. And it wants to keep those overheads down. And it, then it has to have room for profit. So it all has to fit all of the overheads and all of the profit and all the other risks involved in keeping that price that you're willing to pay. Because whether you like it or not, even just think of yourself, think again of your own grocery shop, of something you buy. It's not like you buy this and you'll buy it no matter what the price is. There is a point which you will go, you know what, I can't justify spending it on that. No, the price, that price may differ from person to person. Just take something like, I'm trying to think of something disposable, like a bag of chips, right? You don't need a bag of chips, you want a bag of chips, right? You know, you might want them for the party at the weekend or to watch a game or something, but you don't need them. If, let's say, the cheapest bag of chips, like, let's say it's, let's say, $2 right now, two bucks for a bag. You're like, okay, it's cool, it's two bucks, bag of crisps. Let's say every bag of crisps went up to um, $3. You're like, okay, three fifty. Mm. Four. Some people will stop buying them. Four fifty. Some more people will stop buying them. Five dollars. Most people will stop buying them, or they'll start shopping around. We all have a point, whether we know it or not. It's a lot of time. It's subconsciously, where you will hit a point. You go, I'm not, I can't. I can't justify that. Like, I, or I can't. It may be a case of you're not able to afford that because you lived on a very fixed budget and you don't have that much disposable income. And then at kid's point, I have 10 bucks disposable income every week and that's to buy a couple of bars of chocolate, a bottle of pop and a bag of fries. Maybe that's what it is. You cannot justify it or you can't afford it anymore. We all have these ingrained in us. Minimum wage is the exact same argument. Because what is going to happen is people will justify money to a certain point. But what will happen is if you get to a point where you won't justify it, sales drop. Then the, all the jobs go. 
If you increase the minimum wage rather rapidly, and I'm making a bigger point here, but wages are the exact same issue. If you increase the wages to a certain point, businesses naturally are kind of going, look, we've been squeezed here. Right, we have all these regulations, we have all these overheads, we have all these risks. Customers are only willing to pay a certain price, and we can do market research. The companies do all this of what you're willing to pay, and they can gauge of where the margin of error of where they can push their prices to. But eventually, if you increase the minimum wage to what this guy was wanting to do, effectively by 33% in a couple of years, a pay rise of 33%, think about that, in a couple of years, companies are going to go, we need to start doing things cheaper, especially in 2018 where you have automation. And automation in some ways is actually better. I actually, I can't remember, I think it was my second time doing it, but I was on the road last week and we were just crazy and we just dropped into McDonald's. It was like we hadn't eaten all day. It was, I think it was like seven o'clock. We had not eaten for all day, bar like a, a, a coffee and a, a biscuit, but we hadn't any day lunch. I mean, just we need to get somewhere. And McDonald's was the first place we saw. We stopped in McDonald's. Went through the automated process. Instead of having some young person who doesn't talk to you, who's looking down, who's like, what do you want? Yeah, what do you want? Yeah, what? All right. And then it's just like casually pushing buttons. You have a screen. You get to look through the screen. And McDonald's, fair play to them. They have it laid out very well. It's, you know, what's new and meal deals and the Eurosaver menu, and which is like the dollar club. And you just go through it and you, you put in your card. You don't have to deal with anyone. And then you just wait for your number to be called and you get your meal. Totally automated, totally wonderful. But that auto machine has taken a job away because it wasn't financially feasible to put that person to do that job the way we used to always do the jobs. This is going to put a lot of people out of work. It is going to have a big economic impact. But what I want to talk to you just for a second about is the minimum wage. Because what frustrates me time and time again, and if you're a long-time listener, you've heard me say this all the time, is we have major problems in our society right now. There's no doubt there's major problems in our society. There's always going to be major problems. The problems will change, but we're always going to have problems. The solution is always seems to be the same. Government, 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 government. And then you have politicians running around telling you how much they've grown the economy. They haven't grown the economy. Jobs creators grew the economy. Innovators grew the economy. You'll have people telling you how much, you know, well, I raised the minimum wage or I waged, you know, wage growth in, is, is under, up under my administration. No, no, no. It's nothing to do with you. you the people who raise the, the growth and the wages is the employers, the innovators, the dreamers. When I say dreamers, I don't mean unemployed or un- illegal aliens. I mean dreamers who have wake up in the morning going, I have this wonderful idea. I want to make it possible. I want to offer this product or service to the people. We have issues with the minimum wage right now. I know I'm, I'm on minimum wage. The problem we have is twofold. One is economies are hurting to create jobs because we have a overcomplicated, overburdensome tax code filled with regulations. We are hurting people to get into business. We're making it harder and harder to get into business, to start up your own business. Because why? who would want to, with the current environment, who really would want to, to, to start a business? You know, to be told, 
you know, if you make it that you're, you know, part of the millionaires and billionaires and that, you know, some politician can just come along and say, you owe me more money. You need, you owe me more of your fair share. When you look at the tax rates people are paying, whether it's a business or whether it's an individual, it's incredible. We look at a tax rate of 20% now as low. You know, we, we don't think of 20%. But let me just put this into context for you. If you have a tax rate of 20%, this is effectively what you're saying. Monday, all day Monday, and if you work a 40-hour week, five days a week, all day Monday you're working for the government. And Tuesday, Thursday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you're working for yourself. But Monday you work for the government. If you have a tax rate of 40%, which is popular in a lot of places, Ireland's tax code is 40% on every cent over about $35,000. If you have a tax rate of 40%, effectively, Monday and Tuesday you work for the government. And Wednesday, Thursday, Friday you work for yourself. But the minimum wage, we look at this government to always solve problems. When you had the initial minimum wage bill, all years and years and years ago, it was a safety net for people at the low end of the ladder. It was never meant to be a career choice. It was never meant to be, you know what, I'm going to go to school, I'm going to work hard, and then I'm going to have a minimum wage job. That wasn't the dream. It was the dream of where you go get a minimum wage job, You'd earn a load of responsibilities. You might get promoted within the company or you'll leave and go get another job. And then you'll get a bit more money and then you'll get another job. But so many people look at the minimum wage now as a career, at the career ladder. But secondly, because we are not creating innovators, because we are, have so many burdensome regulations, and because the economies are, are really struggling for the last realistically 10, 12 years, Going all the way back to, what, 2007? 11 years now. A lot of economies are struggling, including Ireland. They're struggling because of all the regulation, because of all the burdensome, because of all the, the taxpayers' money which has gone on benefits. It's not giving opportunities. It's not giving opportunities or an incentive for companies to grow as much as they should. Sure, the multinationals will grow, but the small companies. To, the, when you get to a certain point, you have to understand that it costs a lot of money to grow. Now, what's the answer to that? Is the answer to that empower government and, and raise the minimum wage? Or is the answer empower people? Sit, sit your race, look at your situation. What can you do for you? Does it mean you have to go, you know, do a night class, go to a night college? Well, if, well how, do you, how are they going to afford it? You're going to let them keep more of their own labor. Let them invest in themselves. What option do you choose? Because the minimum wage and major issues are coming with innovation. Do we want to look backward and just have government laws fixing it? Or do we want to empower people and say, look, these are the issues that are coming down the road. Innovation is coming. Where machines will take a lot of jobs. Where you will have self-driverless cars. Where you potentially might have no need for pilots anymore. Where planes will be self-driving. Where you'd have a trucking industry where there's no need for truckers or delivery drivers. Because they're self-driverless. Where do you, when you look at Amazon, where they're kind of going, there's potentially no need for delivery driver, delivery van drivers, because they're going to have these these um, hovers and hoverboards in the sky. Um, what's the helicopters? You know, that deliver parcels within an hour. You're already seeing this. What is the answer? Is it more and more government, 
or is it let's get to a situation let's have conversations with people and let's let them fix their future let's empower them to choose their own choice let's give them the map and say this is the future where do you want to go and let's empower you to follow and pursue your happiness or should we just stick in the old-fashioned way be progressive quote-unquote and just look to pass more and more laws something to think about america this is freedom's disciple with jonathan dunn on the blaze radio network Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc. It doesn't matter what you feel about immigration. It has nothing to do with that. By doing what she did, she put law enforcement in jeopardy. 100%. And protected people who aren't just illegals, but people who have likely done other things that are bad. Well, not just that. You put other people's in front. Like, America was second in her mindset. The morning blaze. Weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Freedom's Disciple On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. I want to finish up today's show with two stories for you, just to give you a sense of what democracy is like. If I was to put in a sentence why democracy is not a good thing, it's because there's no limit on government. There is no check. It's government, and that's it. America's Constitutional Republic, I know it doesn't work this way anymore because... You know, quite honestly, politicians have abdicated their power and their responsibility. But America had checks and balances. It had three branches of government, which were to check each other. The legislative, the executive, and the judiciary. And one of the things I'd love to do down the road is explain where this all went wrong. This actually started all the way back in the 1800s. You know, I love, people love them. We've talked about, you know, progressivism has been 100 years old and, and Woodrow Wilson. But in truth, the Constitutional Republic started having issues with a court case in the Supreme Court. And that case is Marbury versus Madison. And effectively, what it has done is it has eroded over time the checks and balances. When you were... Yeah, I'm sure you know this, but when you're Donald Trump as president or whether you're in the House as, you know, the Speaker as Paul Ryan or you're just like a congressman, whether you're a Senate, you all have to take an oath of office and you have to pledge to defend and protect the Constitution of the United States. Effectively, what Marbury versus Madison did was judicial review that actually, you know, what the, the, the job of defending the Constitution is purely up to the Supreme Court and what the Supreme Court says is true. You know, even George Bush said this, I can't remember what the bill was, under, in the mid-2000s, where he was like, look, it's not my job to decide uh, the constitutional. He didn't think it was, but he still signed it and went, well, if people have a problem with it, it's going to go to the Supreme Court, and they'll decide. That's not the constitutional set of government. The constitutional set of government is the three branches, the executive, the legislative, and the judicial. And they all check and balance each other. And say, if, if one falls out of step, it is the job and responsibility of the other to hold them in account and fix their mistake. 
Because everyone has to defend the Constitution. Because there are limits. In the United Kingdom, in, in England, they do have a Constitution, but it's, it's not checks and balances. It, it tends to be government, and government-centric. And the, what they have to define is who gets to decide what right. Is it, is it the Congress, or they don't have Congress, they have Parliament in, in London? Or is it the Parliaments in the Uni- European Union? But everything is up for grabs. Everything is up for discussion. If some political movement becomes popular and it gets enough support and politicians take it on board, guess what? It's democracy. That's how democracy works. And it's just so wonderful. A couple of stories for you just to think about of what happens under democracy. So the world is going through many problems right now. One of them is we're getting bigger, smaller, and fatter, to be blunt. And Britain is having this problem. It's having a, it's falling behind European standards and European levels with obesity. A lot of people are, you know, are short and fat in Britain. This is well, this is the narrative they want to push. And they passed this bill, basically, from March this year, from this month. And public health officials have imposed new calorie caps because Britain needs to lose weight. Lunches and dinners are to be cut to about six hundred calories at fast food outlets on ready-meal shelves in supermarkets, and breakfast portions will be cut down to about 400 calories. So basically what you have here is no regulation. It's all regulation. Instead of having a conversation about, hey, look, you know, we are need to have promote healthy eating, and this is not the government's job, but let's just say it, the government always has a role. Instead of promoting healthy eating, instead of having conversations of, hey, why are you eating so much, or what is this, or what's the reason for it, No, let's just create a new law. Let's tell businesses how they can run. So basically, breakfast portions in a supermarket or in a in you know in the you know ready packed meals or in fast food outlets, breakfast has to be four hundred calories max. Lunch and dinners are six hundred calories, which if you actually do the math isn't quite enough because you're if you're a man your guideline of calories is two and a half thousand, and if you're a woman it's about two thousand. You know, six hundred for lunch, six hundred for dinner, four hundred for breakfast is only sixteen hundred calories. Hmm. So they're shortchanging themselves. They re- obviously really want to go on a diet. But it's always up to government. They even pat, they travel out these things where, you know, you'll have all these scientists and nutritionists going, you know, look, all, you know, we've done all these surveys and, and, and researches, and basically the average Britain person is average eating 200 to 300 calories too many a day. And they all, then they come up with these excuses that, well, you know, meals out at home were a major cause. And then retailers are selling high-calorie foods as treats, which leads to overconsumption. This is the constant cycle. It's always someone else's fault. And then they go, well, we need to pass laws to fix it. Because in England and in Europe and under democracy, an individual is not sovereign. You don't own your own body. You don't control yourself. Instead of having a conversation going, look, you're eating too much out of home. You're buying all these treats that are full of sugar. There should be guidelines of what you can eat. Let's have a conversation about how we can cut this down. What can we do? Hey, in fairness, companies like McDonald's did this. I don't agree with this, but McDonald's have the choice. You know, where instead of having fries with your Happy Meal, you can have a, a piece of fruit. Give people the choice. Have have wonderful things. You have McDonald's, again, they can have their own decision what to do, but you have a salad. I don't know anyone who goes to McDonald's going, I want a McDonald's. What are you getting? I'm having a salad. Really? 
You're going to the Golden Arches for a salad. But, you know, diversification and companies can do whatever they want. But what you have is government constantly telling businesses how to work. Because simply push, progressives in the in England, progressives in America, whether they're Republican or Democrat, know better than you or think they know better than you. And they'll see these studies and they'll get all these nutritionists going, you know, average Britain is, is eating 200 to 300 calories more than they should per day. And, you know, you know, we'll have another person come out and go, well, well the reason they're eating too much is because they're all eating out of home. And the politician goes, there's some truth, there's some truth, okay, we need to act. And what's even more frustrating with this is you actually have people looking to government going, hey, I'm obese, I'm fat, I need your help, help me lose weight. As someone who is fat and obese, I don't need the government's help. I needed to get on a healthy diet, which I'm doing, I needed to train more, which I'm doing. It's up to me. If I want to lose weight, self-responsibility, it is me. I know self-responsibility isn't a popular message, but that is what would change it. So that's one story. Second story is even more really frustrating and maddening, and especially when I've listened to the debate on this. So I'm sure you all know this. When you die, there are certain people are organ donors. I'm one of them. When I die, which hopefully will never happen because I'm living forever. You donate your organs. You know, you. I don't know who's going to want my organs, but hey, they can have them. Um, I've got no problem with it. You, you can donate. I can't remember what's on my card anymore. It's a little card in your wallet, but it's. Um, I know your heart is one of them. Your liver, your kidneys, I think. Your eyes. I, there's probably some other stuff. But, but, you know, you can donate your organs. Well, England is having a problem right now with basically a lot of people are needing organs and they're not getting them. So they passed a law that would turn everyone in the country, like that, like that, into organ donors. Instead of you having to go through the procedure where you decide to, um, like I did, I got, I can't remember when I first did, I did it when I was a youth, where he was like, look, if you die, would you like to donate your organs? And I went, sure, if it helps people, absolutely. And then you had all these talks, and then you signed out the forms, and then you have a little card and it goes in your wallet, and if they find you or you tell your next of kin, my mother knows, my mother's also an, an organ donor, and that's the way it works. But what they did is, overnight, they said, no, everyone's an organ donor, because you're, you don't own your own body, you're not a sovereign person, they own you, they control you. And what happens is, if for some reason you go, you're one of those hateful people, you know, one of those despicable, horrible, selfish, greedy, you know, just just a bad person, and you don't want to donate your organs, you have to opt out. You have to opt out. Because what they had right now is they said, they, had a, they did an estimate. Again, they, politicians always will pay money to, you know, do some research. And they did. They came up with this research that said, what this will do is this will give you an extra 100 donors a year. And then they come up with this great stat that said, we're going to get these extra 100 donors, but it will lead to the saving of 200 lives. And they use this emotional blackmail, which you're very familiar with. You know, you know, if it could just save one life. And you have this ideology where you just have to do something. And who would it be? Who would argue? What type of greedy person would argue about saving two hundred lives? And then they came out with these other great stats. It was it was interesting following this. 
that basically they came out with this number. They just always... What I always find amazing, I don't know if you ever noticed this in politics, they always have to have round numbers. So we had 100 don- extra donors a year. It was going to save 200 lives. And then they came out and said, basically, 1,000 patients a year die while they're waiting for a transplant. It's never... They never come out with these numbers, like, you know... 106 people, extra donors, 210 lives, or 199 lives, and then 1,060 a, a patients. It's, it's never like an odd number. It's, all, it's always just totally even. It's, it runs off the tongue. We're going to save 200 lives a year. You know, and 1,000 patients die. I'm, I'm not making fun of a really bad situation, but the situation is, this is the truth of this debate. You don't own your own body. You are controlled by the government. You are not a sovereign being. The government owns and controls you in these eyes. And they overnight passed a law that says you have to opt out. Now, when you get the emotional battle, which I'm seeing, you know, 100, 200, and 1,000, can you imagine what you're going to have to do if, let's say, for religious reasons, you opt out? Let's say you have a religion that says no one touches you. That your body is yours and you shan't. Because I, I believe there is one religion. I don't know if it's about organs. But I know there's one religion which won't let you take someone else's blood. Because it's not you. So imagine they have the, someone on religious ground said, I'm not donating my heart. I'm not donating my kidneys. And then you have to opt out. Can you imagine having to go through that process? Because I'm sure they're going to emotionally blackmail you. What do you mean you don't want to donate your organs? Don't you want to be part? You live here. You receive benefits, and now you're not giving someone your heart? And the discrimination that would happen. This is what's happening right now. Now again, is this a serious issue? Absolutely. If there are a thousand patients dying every year waiting for a transplant, then I would suggest you all need to have a serious conversation and look at going, why is this happening? But it comes back down to one question. Who do you seek to empower? Every problem that you have, you seek to empower someone. In democracy, in socialism, in utopias, in progressive countries, the answer of who you empower is always the government. Because we something must be done. We must do something. John, a thousand people are dying, damn it. We have to do something. Doesn't matter what it is. We have to do something. And it usually means empowering government. It usually means government passing a law. It never means empowering the individual. It never means to going to the people and saying, look, we have this problem. Because Britain and the British people are good people. I'm sure if you ran a campaign, and even if the government had to be involved in somehow and went, look, because it's a socialized nation and because it's socialized medicine, government have to be involved in some way. We can have that ideology of battle another day of whether they should be involved or not. But imagine if they went to the people and went, look, we have this situation. And it, go in all the news media, you know, you have, you have friends and contacts there, have different people go on different shows and say, look, Britain has this problem. And it's a very simple problem. The problem is this. We have roughly a thousand patients dying each and every year. Because we don't have organs. They're waiting on a list. They're on a list waiting on a transplant. What we are encouraging people to do is to reach out to this office, whatever office it is in the United Kingdom, and become organ donors. And that you could save a life. And that we can help people live. 
Are you telling me if that you didn't run a campaign, if you actually used your political platform, if you got on all your social medias, if you did Facebook Lives, if you went to every media outlet, BBC, Channel 4, all the different radio stations, all these different people would listen, that they wouldn't kind of go, oh, that's really sad, you know, I could actually help someone, God forbid I die tomorrow, I would like to have a bit of a legacy. I'll, I'll donate my heart or my kidneys. Are you telling me people wouldn't do that by free choice? Are you telling me you have so little confidence in the people doing a good and moral thing? Again, if you disagree with organ donating your organs, I have no problem with you. Then disagree. But a lot of people don't. Whether they're Christians, whether they're Jews, whether they're atheists, whether they're deists, whether they're Buddhists, whatever they are. You have so little confidence in people doing the right thing, you have to insist on the only way forward is to pass a law and overnight like that, you go and from in ignorance to all of a sudden being an organ donor. And you have zero say because it's politicians. These are some of the things that happen in Europe. These are some of the things that are just common thread. People ask me, why do I love America? Because this should not happen in America. When people ask me, why are you so upset when you see some of these policies happening from Republicans? Can you, know, can you not just agree the Democrats are bad? Look, I'm not defending the Democrats. I've been doing this show nearly three years. How many times have I, cre- how many times have I said anything flat, you know, complimentary about Democrats? If there's been one, I can't remember it. Look, the Democrats are the Democrats. That's who they are. I disagree with them. 99.999% of their platform. What does that do us? What frustrates me is the Republicans who are supposed to be on your side, who, when it comes to elections, and you're going to hear this over the next couple of weeks, so it'll be this great transformation of how conservative they all are. You know, well, we're so conservative. I'm, I'm a conservative. I'm your champion. Elect me. Then they go to D.C. and all of a sudden, that, they, you know, the line becomes a cub again, and they do nothing. It's about fighting for what is right. America must not become the United Kingdom. It must not become Ireland. It must not become Europe. America must become America again. And I, when I say that, in case people are Hillary Clinton supporters listening, I'm not looking backward. I'm looking forward. I'm looking back to a set of values and principles where the individual was sovereign, where the individual is free, where people can pursue their happiness without a politician or a bureaucrat stepping in their way, where people can pursue their happiness and if they achieve something good and they actually you know, have fruits of their labor, that they get to keep the vast majority of it. Not 5%, not 10% or not 50%, but the vast majority of it. And that they can live their lives the way they want to. Without judgment. You know, well, not like, well, we're empowering women. Every woman must have a job. Well, what happens if you want to stay at home? Oh, well, then you're, you're oppressed. You're, you're held back by your husband. No, let people decide what they want to do. If people want to homeschool, let them homeschool. If people want to send people to school, to public school, let them send them to public school. Let people choose their path. And that understanding that each of us has a set of rights from our creator. And again, we can disagree on what are all those rights. You may not like certain rights in the Bill of Rights. Okay, we can have that discussion. But at least get common consensus that we all have certain rights that are never up for grabs, never up for discussion. The right to free speech. The right to freedom of assembly. The right to freedom of religion. The right to petition your government. 
the right to a free press, the right to self-defense, the right to be secure in your persons and your papers, the right to a speedy trial, the right to a reasonable bail, the right to defend yourself. We have these rights. We need to start sharing these rights again with people, not looking forward, but looking forward and saying that these messages, these truths are eternal. They were not only true in 1700, and 1800, and 1900, and 2000. They'll be true in 2500, 2600, 3000 AD, if the world ever lives to that long. They're eternal. That is the beauty of the Founding Fathers' vision for your country. And it is a vision we need to share more and more with people. And not looking for backwards, or but looking forwards and sh- reintroducing that message with America. I hope today's show has given you something to think about. Hopefully it's given you a reason why I'm not a big fan of democracy uh, and why I love America's Constitution Republic because that is what you were intended to be and hopefully that's what you'll continue to be. Next week's show, we will be here next week. Next week is obviously Easter. Normally I take Easter off, but I want to do a different show and I hope you'll tune in. It's It's going to be nothing political. I'm going to talk to you I have to, I've been doing some prep work and I want to share some stories with you. Some stories that might inspire you. I don't want to, unless the world goes on fire in the next seven days, I don't want to talk to you about politics. I'm going to take a different route. Do something really nice on Easter for you to listen to on Easter Saturday or Easter Sunday. And just take it in a, just a break from politics and get sharing some stories. And stories from your history. What I love doing best. Until next week, America, have a beautiful and blessed week. We salute your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel and your vets. You know, the men and women who risk it all. The men and women who were heroes in Austin, Texas this week. Men and women who are heroes all around the country. Who are facing trouble 24-7. That we sometimes hear about, but a lot of the time we hear nothing about. And lastly, I salute you, the American people. Never forget, America is great because Americans are good. America is great because Americans are good. It's not because of your Congress or your presidency or your Supreme Court. It's because of each and every one of you. Yes, you. Yes, you, the one who's listening. Your grace, may you make your country great. Never forget that and never let anyone get in the way of that greatness. Until next week, have a beautiful and blessed week and have a happy Good Friday, Easter Saturday and Easter Sunday. Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on demand. The Blaze Radio Network. 